Well, praise the Lord. He is worthy of our praise, isn't he? Come on, give Jesus a big hand today. We bless the Lord for his goodness and kindness. Well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're glad to see him this morning. Well, how many people thought about staying home today? Come on. I did too. This would have been a good day to do it. But I'm really, really glad you're here. You're here because you love the Lord. You're here because your spiritual life's important to you. You remember last week, and we, uh, we started the year, we had all our pastoral staff share, and I kind of entitled today, 2015, A New Beginning. Well, how many know a new beginning requires in our spiritual life that we make steps to get closer to God? You remember the scripture we shared last week, James 4, 8, James 4, 8, and, and this is one of the most, in my opinion, amazing verses in the Bible. When we talk about God, it, it, we, we, we become unaware sometimes that we're talking about the one who created the world, the one who loves us so much that he gave his life on a cross so we could have relationship for eternity. I mean, that's all big, big stuff. Well, James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Can you say that with me? Come close to God and God will come close to you. Now, how many would say that's pretty incredible? But what it's talking about is not just knowledge of God or information about God, but the reality of God's presence in our life. I mean, know as a Christian, we have a, a theological understanding. It's rooted in our mind. But how many know we have an experience with God as well? When I'm born again, when I'm saved, how many know that's an experience you have with the Lord? When the Lord leads you by His Spirit, uh, that's an experience you have with God. So Christianity is kind of the balance between the, the intellectual, cognitive, knowing, uh, doctrinal side, but then it's the experiential side where His presence is a part of our lives. And this great promise is that if we make steps to get closer to God, the God of heaven makes promises that I will get closer to you. But He doesn't stop there, and this is where it, it uh, catches my attention. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, that's part of a stark contrast. Your loyalty is divided. So what this tells us, if I'm looking for a, a new spiritual beginning, a new place spiritually, there's some things that I'm going to have to start doing to make steps to God, and there's other things I'm going to have to stop that are holding me back like an anchor and then there's some things that I just need to keep on doing. I need to keep on having my devotion time, my prayer life, coming to church and those type things. But this is something that sets the tone for this new year. As your church family, we're doing two things that are very deliberate for us uh, to try to help you grow closer to God. And the first one is that Proverbs challenge. You know, I've been a Christian over 35 years now. Not perfect, but I don't have a lot of these in my Christian life. You know, mine are kind of like that, but hopefully I'm still doing this in my life. And if there's one reason I can accredit it, it's not because I'm smarter or more disciplined than anyone, but I've just decided that every day I'm going to have some deliberate time to be with the Lord. Every day I'm going to open my Bible, I'm going to read the Word of God. Every day I'm going to take some time to prayer. Sometimes it's right here in the sanctuary, sometimes it's in my car, sometimes it's in my home. But that will keep you close to God. And this Proverbs challenge, we're only a third of the way through. And what you can do, you can start that thing today or tomorrow, but whatever the date is, for example, I think today is the 11th, then you would read Proverbs chapter 11. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, it is rich, and then just share it with someone. You may get in a text circle. I'm in four different text circles uh, with people sharing what we're reading in Proverbs. Uh, if you're not a texter, you may share it with your spouse over coffee or just call someone on the phone and talk about it, but that will help you. 
The second thing we're doing in January is we're encouraging people over the next couple of weeks to pray and fast. Fasting in the Bible was a way not only of self-denial, of missing a meal or denying yourself some pleasure, but fasting was a means where people got closer to God. Fasting was a means, particularly when there was a crisis, they would fast and seek God. It kind of amped things up. And what I'm doing is I'm deliberately skipping some meals. I'm fasting on Wednesdays. I'm taking that time to pray and be with God. I'm turning the TV off a little earlier at night, opening my Bible again. And what I have come to realize is though I've been a Christian a long time and live a decent Christian life, it's kind of routines and ruts that you get into. Well, I don't want to just stay where I am. I'd like to kind of bump up a notch. And uh, I think if you'll do that, actually, I know that that'll help you in your spiritual life. Well, we're starting a new series this morning, and it's called All In. Uh, this series is, a, is intended to be a series uh, uh, geared towards believers. Uh, I'm talking to you about your relationship with Christ. I'm asking you, is your relationship somewhat casual? Uh, is it out of convenience? Uh, am I more committed to God when I have a crisis, and then when the crisis is over, it's kind of back to normal? Or is following Jesus the most important thing in my life? Is doing God's will, being the person God wants me to be. So that's kind of the idea behind All In. But we've got a little video I want to show you that I think will uh, kind of in a practical way uh, ring true to you. So take a peek at this as we talk about All In this morning. The game is a big deal. And it will cost you everything. The risk is great. But the payoff is even greater. What happens when a group of people put it all on the line and boldly go all in? Well, all in. We're not talking about Las Vegas all in. I want you to think maybe an old Western movie where, you know, they're sitting around the table and there's a big stack of money in the middle and cards. And before you know it, this old, this old rancher, he's put in, put in all his money and he, he thinks the pot's worth it. So he takes his watch out of his pocket and puts it in. And then he says, you know what? And then he puts in his six shooter on the table and he has somebody go to this horse. And as they keep, the pot keeps rising. He go to his horse and puts the bridle on the table and finally sends somebody home and says, go tell the missus that I need the deed to the property because I'm going all in because I believe in what we're doing here. Well, it's kind of a little spiritual parallel to, to what we're talking about today. And I've got a little reminder for you we want to hand out. Now, what do they appear to be poker chips, but they're not. These are God tokens. Everybody say God tokens. So don't worry, we're not starting a, a casino in the back of the church on Saturday nights. We're not doing bingo, and we're not advocating gambling. But it's kind of a, it's, it's a good picture when you see someone with their hands, push their hands in the center, and not leaving anything behind, but going all in for God. So I want you to take one of these and keep it over the next month as a reminder in the series. You can just get just a chip or that's got a... Uh, a deal you can put on your keychain, but I want you to take a, take a peek at that and let it be a reminder about your relationship with Christ. Now, I want to go to Matthew chapter 13. When the Bible talks about us reading the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, it talks about spiritual food. Everybody say spiritual food. It can say, and uh, Peter talked about, told us that we're to desire the sincere milk of the Word. Well, how many know milk is for babies by and large? Milk is for infants. And then it talks about 
desiring the meat of the word. Meat is something deeper. It's something heavier. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, something meatier. A couple weeks, I'll give you something you can shout about a little bit. But this morning, I want to challenge you at a, at a deep level about your relationship with God. And as I talk to you about being all in, I'm not asking you to be all in for the church. That's a good thing. But I'm asking you to be a better thing, to be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to be a committed follower of Christ and take a look at the level of your relationship with God because it'll matter for all eternity. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is basically seven parables, and most of these parables describe the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the Bible, a parable is an illustration. It's a story. Uh, it, it takes a truth that you know and understand, and then it teaches you a spiritual truth based on that. Um, for example, the parable of the sower. A farmer went out and sowed seeds. And the parable went on to say that the seed was the Word of God. Well, in this case, the parables describe the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is simply that place where Christ rules. And can I suggest this to you? There's nothing more important in life than the kingdom of heaven. Because basically, there's the kingdoms of this world, and there's the kingdoms of Christ. The kingdom of heaven is eternal. It will last eternally. It is not short-lived. But I suggest to you the entrance in the kingdom is not something forced upon us, but it is something willing. It is a choice we make to bring our lives under the rule of Christ. What I mean by that is when I bring my life under the rule of Christ, I treat my wife differently. I love my wife as Christ loved the church. When my life is under the rule of Christ and the world tries to pull me into its way to do something that's wrong, I choose to be under the rule of Christ. How many are with me this morning? I choose, listen, you came to church this morning. Not because you, now maybe your, your, spouse, your wife made you come to church, but more than likely you came this morning is because there's something in your life drawing you to God. You want to worship God. Something special happens when we do. Well, he goes and talks about these parables and he's talking to a large crowd of people. Jesus is speaking to a large group. He's over halfway through his ministry, and Jesus is looking towards the cross. And for Jesus, the cross is a place of death, but the people that were following him, many were following Jesus because he would feed them, come on, and because he would heal them when they were sick. Jesus literally was a miracle worker when he walked, followed this earth. And for many, they were following him for what they could get out of the relationship with him. Come on, not because he was their king and their God. So he, he, he speaks to them in a very deliberate way. And I want to explore that with you this morning. Matthew chapter 13. This is one of those hard verses to understand. And perhaps I can help you. Matthew 13 verse 44. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like. I want you to listen just a minute because Jesus is going to tell us what it's like for people that are living under the rule of God. People that are willingly following him. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold what? Everything he owned to get money to buy the field. Why? Because that treasure in the field was worth more than what it cost him. He, he knew something was there. Verse 45, Jesus says basically the same thing again. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. And now he says it's like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. Now here we find a guy who doesn't just happen upon some treasure buried in the field, but this guy's a business person. He realizes that if he goes in the pawn store and he finds something that was, I don't know what, uh, real Elvis Presley memorabilia, 
and he knew what he could get for it because he'd been watching the pawn shows on television, but he knew he had a treasure. So this guy was very deliberate about it. It was a business transaction. He was basically weighing in his hands, if I could get this, then I would get this much money, so I'm going to go all in for it. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he, what did he do? He sold everything he owned, and he bought it. So that's the idea of being all in. And this is what Jesus was talking to a large crowd of his followers. Imagine today if you and I were, were uh, on this earth, and we're, you know, we're following the Lord, and Jesus is talking to us as a group of people. And as he's talking to us, he's talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, which is what we'll do for a short period of time on earth. And then for all eternity, we'll enjoy the treasure that we were able to buy this treasure or pearl of, of great price. Now, maybe I can illustrate it to you this way. I like to duck hunt. Imagine I'm riding down Highway 82 and I see this sign as we're going towards Louisville. And this sign says, uh, land for sale, excellent duck hunting. So I turn the truck and I'm going down the road. I find out where it is. I call the guy and I say, hey, can I uh, go and just do a little exploring and find the land? He said, sure, man, it's great duck hunting. There's an oxbow lake on the edge. It's real near the Red River and big cypress trees in it. I mean, there's always ducks there. I said, well, how many of you got this year? He said, well, I don't go. Nobody's really hunted in it in several years. It's kind of grown up. And I said, well, I'll go check it out. So I get out of the truck and I'm going towards that oxbow sloop. And as I look at it, I see that in the previous spring, it had almost come a flood and the waters were rushing past it and a lot of the, the dirt and the ground, the silt had been moved aside. And as I get by this oxbow lake, it's all grown up. Nobody had been there. But I looked at the other end and I saw what seemed to be a wooden ship that was buried in the sand and the mud. And as I got closer and I began to explore it a little bit and I began to see that this looks like it could have been a Civil War era ship. You see, I'd done a little history, and I knew kind of what, I was, what, 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 what it meant. And as I began to dig around a little bit, it was an incredible find. Nobody knew about it. You kind of every once in a while, you're looking around, make sure nobody sees me. But as I got inside the hold, it was filled with gold. And it was something that the Civil War, you know, they, when, they were, when they were fighting the Union Army, they were going to try to send that money up the Red River and whatever to, to some place. Well, imagine my thoughts. If I buy this land, I'll get this gold. And this farmer has priced this land not based on the gold that's there, but he's based it on, you know, uh, what you could get in agriculture or what you could get for a duck lease. So what I do, as soon as I get in my truck, I get on the phone and I call a realtor and I said, I want to sell my house and I want to sell it quick. And then I get on the phone and uh, I call my uh, retirement broker and I tell him, cash in all my retirement. He said, "What's going to be penalties. I don't care. Uh, there's something special that I want to buy. And then as I get to my computer, I put both my cars on Craigslist. I got my duck decoys there. I got my gun. I got everything that I can come up with. And I put it all in because there's some treasure out there that's more important than what I got. And that is exactly what Jesus is telling you and I today is that there is some treasure in following him and going all in for Christ. And again, I'm not asking you to do anything for the church. I'm not trying to recruit you and sign up for anything. And I don't want any money today. I just want to challenge you in a meaty way about your relationship with God and ask you, are you all in for Jesus Christ and the eternal kingdom of heaven? Come on, because what God offers is worth more, come on, than the cost, that it, the, the cost of uh, the buying that field. See, when these two guys in these parables 
the one that bought the pearl and the one that bought the lamb, when they did that, they realized that there was a price to pay and it was costly. You see, it's one thing for me to put in three or four chips. It's another thing for me to put in half my chips. And even on a TV show, you see the guys putting in, you know, what the 50,000 buy-in or whatever it was. But I'm talking about real life like you and I taking your whole life and putting it on the line because Jesus himself said that there's a treasure. And if you are willing to follow me in the kingdom in this measure, he said, I'll make it worth it in your life at the end. Whenever I talk to teenagers and ask them about their life, invariably they say, you know, well, I want to have a nice house and a car and, you know, a job and all this. And I said, well, what's your ACT score? Because here's the deal. Your ACT is the ticket to money to go to college. And, and you may say, well, I want to go to LSU or I want to go to, you know, what UT. Well, guess what? Your bill every year is going to be twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year. But if you just would pay the price and get all in and take that ACT test, like my daughter Bethany did, she took it 10 times. That means you got to get up on Saturday morning real early and go test while your rest of your girlfriends are sleeping. That means you got to hit dad up again for 50 bucks to take the silly thing again. And there's an online course when you could be watching TV or, you know, Snapchat or whatever you're doing. But she saw the price of a college education that could give her the life she wanted and said, I'm willing to pay the price and go all in for this ACT. And guess what? She did. She got a high enough score. Both she and my son had all their tuition paid when they went to college. But why'd they do it? Because it was worth the sacrifice. It was worth what it cost me. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, that if you'll say yes to me, it may be difficult in this life, in the short term, but when the long term comes up, come on, you've bought the pearl of great price, and it's worth way more than you paid. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. And the kingdom of heaven is filled with people who have done this. Ordinary people just like you and I. Have you ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was a missionary several hundred years ago, went to China when nobody else was going. Did you know today, missiologists estimate there are between two and three hundred million Christians in a nation of a billion people, largely an underground church. Hudson Taylor was the one that caused this to happen many, many, many years ago. Um, just last week, we had a, an Indian man here. His name was Jameson Titus. Jameson, of course, today we've got 12 guys and girls from our church college age, and they're in, they're in India right now. They're at a Bible school campus, and they're helping uh, fix the campus from the, a cyclone that they had. But guess how that all started? You see, when I asked him, Jameson, last week, I had lunch with him. I said, Jameson, what, is it, what do you need over there? He said, I desperately need a, a lift uh, to paint our buildings. And I said, well, how many buildings you got? He said, 28. Now think about this. On a campus... 28 buildings, but when Daddy went there several years ago, there was nothing. You see, when about 35 years ago, Dad, who's passed away, Dad was a successful educator in Dallas. He's an earned Ph.D. I think he was a school superintendent, but he was in church one day, and the Lord started speaking to him about giving his life back to his homeland of India. And he said yes to God. He left behind a successful career, and he embarked on something. And out of nothing today, there are millions of people who are followers of Christ in India today because of the ministry of P.J. Titus. Now, he's already gone to be with the Lord, but guess what? He, bought, he went all in, and he bought the pearl of great price. And for all eternity, come on, he's going to revel in the reward that God's giving him because of what he's done with his life.
Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go to some foreign soil like Haiti or Africa or India. Listen, right here, if you're a football coach, you have a position of influence, come on, with young men that you can influence their lives in a very viable way. I don't care what you do with your life, but wherever you are in life, God can build a platform for you to make a difference with your life in the eternal kingdom of God. And my prayer for you is that you'll join me, come on, and in 2015, that we go all in for Jesus. Come on, give him a big hand today. Now, now look at, look at uh, chapter 14 of Luke, and let's get a little deeper with this. When I talk about Jesus challenging his followers to be all in, now in Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus is going to basically describe those who follow him, call them followers, call them disciples. But here we see large crowds are following Christ. He's got lots of people, but in this conversation, what Jesus is doing is he's basically challenging them to follow him, and he's going to have some real hard words for them, and I want to give you the same words today because there's a difference uh, in our American mentality between a believer and a follower that God never intended. God intended that the one that professes to follow Christ, that he would be Lord of all. Let's explore this just a minute. Luke chapter 14. Uh, now, Jesus, in Luke 14, he's, all, he's, he's substantial in, in, into his ministry. Jesus is headed to the cross, but many people are following him because he's fed them when they were hungry and healed them when they were sick. And it's a challenge of the motivation of why I'm following Christ, but here's this huge crowd of people. Now, this is, what you're going to see is this is very different than American Christianity. In most large churches in American Christianity, in, in most TV shows, you'll see there's a message that goes out that has no controversy. It's a message that won't talk about political issues. It won't talk about social issues, abortion, same-sex marriage, because after all, Pastor, these things offend people, and we want everybody to be happy. You can go to some churches in America today and you hear message after message is that God wants you to be prosperous and blessed and happy. Come on, never have a problem. Now, do I want to be happy? Absolutely. Do I want to be prosperous? Absolutely. But there's more to that. It's a part of the Christian message, but it's not the only part of the Christian message. And Jesus gets to the heart of the message in these, in these, these short passages and he gives us three conditions of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Look at verse 25. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. And Jesus said to this group of people, he said, if anyone comes to me, now, now, now this is going to shake you, and does not hate his own father and mother, that's mom and dad, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, uh-oh, and even his own life, he, he didn't say it would be hard to be a disciple. He said, you can't be my disciple. Now, this word hate, it does not mean what our word hatred means. To us, hatred means I despise you, I don't like you, but it's not that at all. This is a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. And basically what Jesus is saying, the New Century Version translates it this way. If anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, or even his own life more than me. If you love anybody more than me, he didn't say it's going to be hard to be a Christian. He said, you cannot be my follower. Now, again, this word hatred, it's a relative term, and he's not asking us to love our family less. You know, Jesus came to fulfill the law. The first of the Ten Commandments says what? Honor your mother and father that your days may be long on the earth. 
You know, one, one, one thing that's broken in American culture is the family is disintegrated. We're told in American culture, it doesn't matter if you have a mom or a dad. It doesn't matter what kind of household you have. It does matter. It does matter. The family is broken in America, and Jesus is not undermining the family. He's not saying, love your family less. He's just saying, love him more. He's saying, for example, in my own life, I've shared this story. When I got out of the Navy, I felt God calling me to go back to California. My family lived in Mississippi. My dad wanted me to farm with him. I wanted to do it in my heart, but I knew in my heart of hearts, God was calling me to go back to California and give my life in ministry. And I had to decide if I'm going to love Jesus, come on, more than I love my dad. I had to decide if I loved Jesus more than I loved a way of life that I deeply wanted. And that's what he's saying here. Because a big part of this passage, in case you missed it, not only hate relatively your mother and father, but you've got to hate even your own life. And that's not some self-destructive thing. That's not cutting. That's not, you know, that's not damaging yourself. Jesus told us that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's a presumption in Scripture that we have a, a proper uh, care for and admiration for who we are. Come on, how many know we're adopted in the family of God? Well, we're a son and daughter of God. We need to hold our head up. We're not a bunch of dirty, rotten scoundrels and sinners. We've been adopted in the family of God. But Jesus is saying is he wants to be in the driver's seat, and he wants us in the passenger seat. That's what he means. Uh, he said this again in Matthew 16, verse 24. He said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my my follower, my disciple. And here's the big thing. You must turn from your... That's my problem, buddy, because when I look in the mirror, I see a selfish guy every time I look at him. How about you? Sure. We're kind of trained that way in America. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give your whole life to getting a better car and a better house and better pair of shoes, come on, and going to more ball games. And don't, let's don't talk about duck hunting. If you, it, are you with me? If that's what your life is about, when your life is over, it's all gone. Because Jesus made this statement then. Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, here's a cool verse because you say, man, that's tough. It is. But Jesus said, when the Son of Man is coming are going to come in his father's glory, he's going to reward each person according to what they've done. And I want to tell you, friends, if you're going all in for Christ, it's not just what you're looking at right here. What you're going to buy in this treasure is worth more than what you've got today. I remember when this was challenging my life. When I was in my early 20s, I was living in California. Um, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was going to college on a VA uh, subsidy and working a little bit at the church. But I rented a room from an elder in the church, and it was a small room with a single bed in it and a desk and a chair, and that was kind of it. But we were going on a missions trip, and we were going to Mexico, and we were in Northern California. We had to drive through L.A. Well, it just happened that that elder son-in-law was named Carney Lansford, and he was the third base for the California, I think it was the Angels, based in L.A. Well, anyway, we're going to spend the night at his house. And mind you now, I don't have too much. I don't have very much, you know, ka in my pocket. But I spend the night in this bedroom, and I, I know it wasn't this big, but it reminds me of being as big as this stage. And I remember I kind of just got up in the corner right here and I cried myself to sleep because I thought, if I serve Jesus, I'll never have anything in my life. If I do what I think the Lord's telling me to do, here I am on my way to help the poor in Mexico, going to college, trying to make something, but Jesus is telling me to go all in for him. 
Now look, that was a long time ago, and I'm telling you, I drive a nice vehicle today, I live in a nice house, and you know, life is good. God's been good to me, but here's the deal. I made that decision that day after I cried myself to sleep that night. I woke up in the next morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to serve Jesus even if I don't have much in this life because I'm not just living for today. I'm living for eternity in mind, and that's what Jesus said. Look at the second condition. Now, we're, again, we're back to the large crowd of people. And he's talking to them. And look at what he said in verse 27. It's almost like he's trying to get rid of some of them. We may pick this up next week. And and Jesus would oftentimes say hard things to people. And you know what they would do? They'd turn around and walk away. And he looked at Peter and said, are you walking away too? And Peter said, where else shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen to what he said in verse 27. Jesus said, whoever is not willing to carry his cross and Follow me. And what's it say? Cannot. Put it back on the screen, please. Whoever is not willing to carry his cross and follow me cannot be my follower. Now, that's an incredible thing. The cross was an instrument of death. Crucifixion is a shocking metaphor for discipleship. But what it's talking about is denying ourselves even some sacrifice and suffering if it's necessary to be a Christian. And can I tell you, sometimes it is necessary to suffer and sacrifice for Christ. We're in a building that's warm, protected from the elements. Today, as you and I are sitting here in in Texas, Texarkana, Texas, there are Christians in Muslim nations all over the country, all over the world, particularly in the Middle East. And these people are being told, if you don't bow to Allah, if you don't renounce Christ, we will kill you. We will rape you. We will take your house. You will lose your job if you do not bow to Allah and renounce Christ. And these are not just adults. This is happening to children. Can I tell you, friend, there's a cross that's being thrust into their hands that they never asked for. And they're having to ask the question, listen, am I willing to follow Christ even if it's going to cost me something like this? My, li- my wife, several weeks ago, she's in Mexico, goes down there to minister to the Mexican women in ladies' conferences, but in the middle of the first night, she's walking in the dark, and she falls down the mountain and busts her head wide open. If you've seen her, she's got this huge gash in her head. The next day, they said her eyes turned black. They were swollen up. I'm getting text messages, tell your wife to come home. Well, now, how many know you can't tell a 50-year-old Italian woman what to do? I mean, you know, she's... <laughs> But anyway, she took a day off, and the next day she gets on this van. Imagine, can you, a a Mexican doctor in the middle of the night in a Mexican emergency clinic, okay, and the doctor doesn't speak English and looks at you and says, ay, 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 and tries three times to sew you up, and nobody will let you even look at it. But when you finally get a look in the mirror, And the next day she gets up and she rides four hours one way, three, four hours one way in a van, bumping, 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 bumping. I said, why'd you do that? She said, last year when I was here, these women walked hours to come to our meeting. They asked me to come to our village and I told them I would. And I felt the Lord wanted me to keep my word to them because it's a cross. It's a cross. And Jesus said, sometimes we have to pick up our cross and follow him. But I'm telling you, it's the pearl of great price. You see, they didn't do this because they had to. They was excited about the pearl of great price. Let me kind of head towards the end here. The third condition, again, large group of people following Jesus. 
And Jesus said in verse 28, if you want to build a tower, in other words, if you're building something, you first sit down and decide how much it will cost. And here's what he's saying. The cost for following Jesus. See if you've got enough money to finish. Because if you don't, you could lay the foundation. You'd not be able to finish. And then everyone would make fun of you, saying this person began to build what was not able to finish. Now look at verse 33. Jesus said, in the same way, you must I wish I had some scissors and could, collectively, could, could selectively cut things out of the Bible. This is one that I would cut out. Now, let me be clear. I don't think this is a universal uh, uh, command for every Christian in every season to give up everything to serve the Lord. Obviously, my life does not do that. But if he did ask me to do that, what would I do? Amen. You see, Jesus doesn't mind us having things. The Scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, God gives us things to enjoy. The problem, though, is what if those things become an idol? Or more importantly, what if the Lord wanted use of some of my things to do something for his kingdom? Would I be willing to buy the pearl of great price? That's what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was like, is there's treasure buried in the field. And I'm simply, again, I don't want anything from you today. I'm not asking anything for the church. I'm talking about you and your relationship with God. I'm asking you, what is your commitment like in your relationship with Christ? And every once in a while, Jesus may come to us and shake us. Remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and said, what can I do for eternal life? And Jesus gave him a few commandments. He said, I've obeyed every one of them. And Jesus said, one small thing. I want you to take what you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me. And I will give you eternal life. And the Bible says he went away sad because he had great possessions. Or better yet, those possessions had him. He was not willing to pay the price for the pearl. So again, I don't think God is asking us to just give everything away today. But what I'm saying is this. He wants everything we have to be held with an open hand. And if he gives us something to be used somewhere in his kingdom, he simply wants us to say yes to the Lord. Come on, punch your neighbor and say he's preaching better than we're amending this morning. Now, it's hard to make a big commitment to Christ. And everybody said? It is. It's hard. Most of us, if you're like me, most people come to Jesus with a felt need. I came to Jesus because my heart was broken and I was alone and by myself and I realized what I had was not working. I had no idea that believing and following were tied in the same verse. Let me tell you what I think is the great problem, the, our struggle today. But it's hard to make a big commitment to Christ because of what I call cultural Christianity. Now what I mean by cultural Christianity, the last 50 years, America has known unparalleled prosperity. We have, we have, we have lived a self-centered life like no other generation. Do you know what my phone is called? My phone is called an iPhone. My little computer pad is called a... Now where did they come up with that? The same, the same when Burger King years ago used to say, have it your way. There's just something about this American spirit. And what it did is it developed a theology in the church that said Christianity is like a buffet. Following Jesus is like going through the line at Bryce's. You go through and you get that big piece of chocolate cake because that's salvation. But you pass on those vegetables, come on, because that's lordship. I go through that line and say, yeah, give me a double on the happiness and give me a double on the prosperity. I want all of that. You know, I want whatever I desire when I pray, believe I receive and have what I ask. Give me a big plate of that. I don't want a mini plate of that. I want a big one. But if sacrifice, obedience, come on. 
is on the buffet, we feel like somehow we can pass by. But Jesus didn't offer us to be believers or followers. Listen, believers follow. And believers, to be part of the kingdom of heaven, are willing to buy the pearl of great price, even if they have to sell everything to do it. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Don't let it, cultural Christianity, bite you. It is not biblical. Jesus wants us to believe and follow him. Why do you think a Navy SEAL, whose training, they say, is the most difficult in the world, that they will tie those guys, tie them where they cannot get out of it, throw them in a swimming pool, and when they believe they're drowning, not getting tired, but drowning, they pull them out, and then they do whatever to get them to breathe again. They want them to be able to touch death and get that close to death. Why would they sit out in the frigid water of the ocean until their skin turns blue and they can barely walk? Come on. I'll tell you why. It's because they want to jump out of that airplane in the middle of the night and go capture Osama bin Laden. There's something in the heart of those select men knowing that over 50% of them won't make it through this rigor, but to get the emblem or the patch or the tattoo, come on, it's worth it to be a part of the elite club. And I'm telling you, there's an elite club called Followers of Christ that's a club that you and I are a part of by believing. We don't earn our salvation and we don't keep our salvation by good works. But in this club, come on, we follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And that's what it means to be a Christian. So here's my big question before I wrap up. Why would anybody in their right mind decide to go all in for Jesus? And, and you know what? We just read the Bible this morning. Why would anyone in their right mind who has a wonderful family, who's loved at home, who has whatever, possessions, who doesn't like to suffer a sacrifice, why would anybody do that? And I'll tell you in a very simple statement, it's this, because we love the Lord and he promises to reward us in his eternal kingdom. Let me say it again. It's because we love the Lord, and it's because he promises to reward us in his eternal kingdom. And I say this to you, this strong meat message early in the year, because how you relate to what the Bible is teaching us will determine the course of our spiritual future. Let me explain this, why we do this in a different way. I think it was 1983. It was a young guy who was 25, his little wife was 21, and she was walking down the aisle because he'd asked her to marry him, and she said yes. But when he asked her to marry her, he didn't live in a very nice house. He was actually renting a little one room with a little bitty bed in there, at which time her parents kind of felt sorry, knowing they were going to get married, so they helped him buy a house. But to live in this little house, it was a one-bathroom house, and to afford the payment, they had to get a roommate. Now, why would this girl... Be willing to move out of mom and dad's house. It was a beautiful two-story house. It was a nice oak wood uh, rail going up to the second store. It was a beautiful home. It had a swimming pool in the backyard. And she's going to move in a house with no air conditioning and a guy that only can get her wet with a water hose. Why would this girl, who mom was blessed and drove a Cadillac, why would she be willing to marry a guy who was driving a Toyota Corolla that had no air conditioning? I'll tell you why. It's because she loved him and she believed that their life together would be rewarded, come on, with more than what she had today. And I don't mean just material things. I mean with what money cannot buy, the eternal kingdom of God. And that's the same way, the same reason that you would consider being all in for Christ is because you love him, come on, because he first loved us. 
But there's a promise in the Bible. I want you to say this with me. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. Let's say it again. No eye has seen. Stop just a minute. The beauty of Yosemite, the beauty of the, of the most perfect place you've ever been on this planet, the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, the beauty of a, 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 a botanical garden, whatever it may be, no eye has seen it. No ear has heard a story, a song, a description, and no mind has even imagined if we could say all the good things that God has prepared for those that love him. And that's why I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, because I love him, and he's promised to reward me if I'll buy the pearl of great price. I want to close with where we began, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus calls us to be all in. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field, and in his excitement, not because he had to, but in his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Well, as we step into 2015, my challenge to you is to draw close to God because God will get close to you. But here's my question. How close do you want to be to God? Because the closer you get, the more you hear his voice. But the more you hear his voice, the more you're apt to see the pearl of great price. The more you're apt to find the treasure buried in the field. And it's a cost to that treasure, but I'm telling you what you can do when you get that treasure field. Come on. I mean, you've got duck hunting, but you've also got gold buried in that ship. Come on. And it's worth more than you paid for it. It's the eternal kingdom of God. Give him a big hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. Why don't we stand to our feet today? And let's just have a little God moment before we go home. I apologize for my voice today. That front came through and messed with me a little bit. But could you just bow your head before God and close your eyes and simply say, wow, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? I hope you haven't heard any condemnation because there's none. I just hope that you will stand a moment, you and God, recognizing that there's a field out there and it's got treasure in it. When you're coming up in the marketplace in the days ahead, there'll be a, a pearl that's worth more than everything you have. What will you say to Jesus? Sing with us. All to Jesus I surrender.